0: welcome to the dm's book club a podcast where we read about some dungeons and dragons and discussed how we might discussed discuss we might use it in our role-playing
1: good stuff uh... we break open a series because we i'm not going to let you un, undo that we're going to roll with it <laughs>
0: Super. Hello, my name is Fiona, and this is our first uh, proper recording of 2021. Well, okay, this is going to be a great start. So uh, my name is Fiona, and with me, first time possibly talking about Dungeon Dragons this year is Ryan. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Hello.
1: I'm great. I'm, I'm very good. I am enjoying 2021 for everything that it's bringing, which... You know, what was it? We 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 finished the end of 2019, didn't we? And we sort of thought, hmm, there's no way this year could get any worse. Like nineteen was a terrible year and stuff happened. Twenty twenty will be great. Yeah. It'll be fantastic. And then twenty twenty happened and we were all locked down. Like the entire DM's book club first season was filmed in lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we did anything that was remotely related to freedom no. so this time around I'm just going into it from a totally opposite angle right I'm just saying 2021 it's going to be terrible it's, it's going to be the worst year that we've ever had everything's going to go pear-shaped you know mm-hmm. out of the group of us three of us will be dead by the end of it oh. you know just it's going to be terrible and then it's all up from here. You see, it's it's my it's my new optimistic stance. That's what well, I'm well,
0: we'll check back in at the end of the year and see if any of these predictions have come true. Um, hopefully, we're not dead. Uh, it's somebody else you're referring to.
1: Uh, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't mind. Maybe I
0: don't know. I was going to ask. Know. Um, up to any D D stuff over the holidays or anything like that. Anything reading wise. Well, wow, it kind of is related to this session,
1: really, because we've we've all been given lots and lots of Christmas reading. That sort of so like, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out in November, did mm-hmm. it? Yep. Time is a loose concept for me. We've, I picked it up. Yeah. yeah, I picked it up for Christmas so I was a little bit late. I, I never seem to get the books. Well, this is what normally happens because we've been playing D&D, right? And and we do it every Monday and we've been running throughout. So this is, we've actually been doing quite a lot of D&D, which is great and, and all very good. But what normally happens is I turn up to a session and people go, oh, oh, by the way, Ryan, can I try this new feat or a new spell or whatever it is? And I'm like, hmm? But is, is that an art arcana? No, no, it's published material from where? Tasha. What the hell is Tasha? <laughs> the keep the- up, old man. <laughs> exactly. Not only has it been out for three weeks, but also it was released like provisionally three months ago, and I've just missed it. So this podcast is fantastic for keeping me up to date. How mm-hmm. about you? What have you been up to?
0: Uh, similar things. I have. I also got tashes, which is exciting. I uh, had a good read-through of that. I also, uh, very cheekily, thought I'd give myself a big treat for the end of the year, because I you know, I feel like I don't treat myself enough with all these <laughs> improv classes, with all this d d stuff. So I actually treated myself to Curse of Strahd Revisited, which is oh. the reissue of the Curse of Strahd book with a whole lot of goodies. And you know, it's one of those things, where you, when it first came out, I was like, I don't need that. Don't be silly. I don't need cards and postcards and stuff it is so beautiful ryan (laughs) yeah that is i
1: have to say the one thing that's run through Mm. everything we've done on this podcast so far because we've been literally just using published material apart from one or two sessions but we've been using Mm. sort of pdfs and 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 homemade things but going through the books the fifth edition they really have stepped up the artwork and the beauty i they must spend i would say about 70 percent of their budget on artwork Unless they just don't pay the artists and they all have them chained up in some dungeon somewhere, which is highly likely as well. But Mm -hmm. the artwork is just staggering. I'm just even like the Tasha's Cauldron, it feels like i mean maybe i'm wrong but there's a couple of new artists in this book that i yes. haven't seen the style of before but some of it is mm. beautiful I, i'm a huge fan of any artwork that has sort of like ethereal lighting mm. you know that sort of nighty twilighty fire buggy lighting there's a lot of that and a lot of yeah. stuff and glowing mushrooms and all kinds yeah. of
0: well they've, well they've got the the whole uh like new environments as well and that's been really cool to see that but the mm. just to go back very quickly to curse of strad because obviously i'm thinking of well i think in the pre 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 planning stages of running a campaign for, for for you and other people which people are excited for which is it's nice Very to hear perfect, yeah. um but I, let me tell you I, my prediction for 2021 going forward uh softback books for dnd it is so nice not to pick up a book and the binding not to fall out honestly it is yeah. oh, so good you know what
1: controversial with these hardback books i i own probably about I'd say just over a dozen D and D books. I don't have them all, but I've got I've got a lot of them. Mm. And I'd say probably three or four of them. The, the hardback binding is now gone. Gone. I don't think they've all. I don't think any of them have totally come away, but they've no. definitely broken. Like my players' handbook and my DM's book are just gone. knackered. I love it. I'm, contr- I'm one really? of these controversial people. You, you know how we get people that collect stuff and mm-hmm. it's all about keeping it pristine and in a box and value. No, 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 no. If I own something and it is totally decrepit because of what it's been used for, I love it. So like mm-hmm. a book that is totally knackered because it's been read loads, mm-hmm. I really like. Like if, if you took a knife to a book and burnt the edges of it, I wouldn't be necessarily very happy. But like <laughs> the fact that it's it's knackered because it's done what it's supposed to do, mm-hmm. I really I love that. That, that for me is like oh beautiful but,
0: but aren't you the sort of person that writes in their books as well
1: yeah this this this, oh, this, oh. this, this really grated on my on my group so i mean I, like you you listen to this and tell me if you think this is reasonable in the dm's book right there are all these sections on healing potions which was a big one right where they've mm-hmm. got the healing potions in the book it's got like a regular healing is 2d4 plus two and then the greater healing is 45 and there's no prices on any of them and if you if there's one camp like one thing in a campaign where you need to know the prices of something because magic items aren't really supposed to have prices in D and i totally get that although they've totally rewritten that through xanophars and everything now but mm-hmm. um but the healing potions i needed to know what prices they were because i always looked it up and then it was never in the book and then i always had to google it so i took a, a fountain pen and i actually wrote on pen. the healing because well, <laughs> i'm I have style, see, this, is, this is minimum standards. And I wrote like the gold prices in the book. And I tell you, I've, I would say once every six or seven sessions, I use it. So it's really, really handy. I makes oh, yeah. feel
0: so sick <laughs> you,
1: right. should, you should see is a couple of entries in, um, on the player's handbook on the classes like the bard yeah. for instance where things that Sam uses I've actually circled and, and underlined things in the book <sighs> that are really important yeah I think it's it's my book I can do with it what I want right but I find this really insulting I
0: just I just I've got a thing about writing in books in general I think I just when there's post-it notes available and you can just put them in and then just shut them like I'll, I've i not got it to hand but my player's book because I always forget like brutal critical relentless rage is there just in case I ever need it not that I will mm-hmm. at this point and I just have it on the page like on post-it notes so when I open it I'm like at the beginning of the session I remember it. It still doesn't work but I, I feel a <laughs> lot better that I've done it.
1: that. <laughs> the problem with post-its and maybe this is just the terrible post-its I use but like if i have in a monster manual flagged a couple of monsters mm. that are going to come up in the session and then I'm, give it a few weeks because the session's never quite run as they're supposed to and you've gone off talking to some NPC about badger <laughs> hunting and then three weeks later we get to the encounter I thought so the post it has been in there for like a month or so mm. and I take it out it leaves all that sticky horrible residue on all the pages so that mm. the book begins to get really sticky Sticky. Like I prefer to write it over that I tell you
0: all right fine but also oh <laughs> just like <laughs> sick to my story right Ryan what are we talking about today we're getting all the the pre-holiday chatter out what what is the topic of choice so
1: as we discussed, Tasha and her Cauldron of Everything came out in November and it threw the book at what I would like to call the sort of uh, railroading DD, everything has to be of a certain style or class or, or linear pathway. All of that mentality has gone out the window now. And assuming your DM is happy with it, assuming you've read all the material and assuming that you are willing to kind of do it fairly and and sort of still to the book, Tasha now provides a huge amount of options and customizational things to do with classes, to do with races, to do with skills, to do with the whole shebang, really. And we're going to explore some of those. We're going to have a look at the first couple of pages in the book so it's page seven and page eight which talk about some of the character options that you can pick and change and fiddle with and then we're going to have a look at some of the new feats in page 79 the idea sort of running through this whole thing is that effectively if you want to do it and you're willing to spend the time to kind of balance it a little bit you can now it's it's very loose and furry
0: the other thing to say as well, because there was a lot of hype around Tasha's coming into it, because they were like, again, with these customizations you can literally be any character or be any any person. And it's just uh, getting rid of any those preconceptions that we talked about, you know, when, with certain bits of lore. And interestingly enough, I, again, I don't know if you know this right, when it uh, was announced and people started getting the book, there's actually a big disappointment because they didn't realise, or people weren't Aware that obviously these options were helping players do it. It wasn't necessarily rewriting whole swaths of DD lore, which I think I, I've got something about that. And I, I, it's just interesting to see that people were really hyped for it. And then it was disappointed because it was only like two pages <laughs> where the message was, well, you can do it. Here are just some options so that it makes it official, in quotation marks. So that if you're hmm. doing like Adventures League or anything like that, which has a certain requirement and stuff like that, you could just use that instead
1: it's interesting that one i think because um, i think i'm i'm of one opinion and we'll see if it's the same but hopefully yeah, <laughs> <I'm sure it laughs> is. Fingers crossed. yeah character options it's mm. very exciting
0: what character options are there if i want to make a completely customized character from the start what do we have
1: so i think what the book is trying to do is trying to given an ordering and a awaiting to the different skills and features that come with race options and the things that come with that. So we've always had a, a sense in d d that playing a particular race will fit you into a sort of particular... Um, background or hereditary sort of system or some sort of upbringing that gives you abilities, traits, skills, spells, whatever it is. And it's all to do with a kind of combination of culture, genetics, the style of upbringing in a particular community. And I guess especially when the player's handbook first came out when there weren't so many options it kind of was trying to give different flavors and different skills to people so that they could make characters and have a different sense of things but certainly the way that d d has been going and I think some really good changes to how people are looking at life at the moment is that we're trying not to sort of kettle things into such small buckets anymore we're allowing people to be who they want to be and mm-hmm. sort of in the style of it so it's now taken away from that sort of look and it's now as I say bucketing and t- Hearing different levels of skill kind of to rank them in, in a sort of ordering of okay this is of x importance and this is of y importance and we're bucketing them into sort of little chunks so that you can take them and replace or swap things out in order to customize your style of character options so when we're talking about this we're talking at the moment about the race of your character and the origin of your character so i think one of the most uh, i'm just trying to think of a really sort of typical upbringing if you think about elves mm-hmm. elves have always seen as very aloof ancient sort of reserved but also enjoy life creatures i mean you've had high elves and you've had wood elves where high elves are very magical and they like to build things and a very Rivendell sort of lord of the rings-esque creatures mm-hmm. and then you have wood elves and I don't know if you have a similar opinion of wood elves but wood elves have always been ah they're the ones that like to run around trees and <laughs> they're, they're probably <laughs> rangers or druids and yes yeah. you look at their skills and I think they have decks and whiz which means okay yeah you are either ranger or a druid I can see that you are the race that is built for this That's fine. And it's all to do with the fact that all the wood elves have a very particular upbringing where they run around woods and they communicate with animals and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And Tasha comes along and says, yeah, well, what if your wood elf didn't grow up in that background? What if they were orphaned and grew up in water deep in a slum and you had a beholder for a friend and sort of lets you sort of change these things around, really?
0: That's the whole thing with this, is that it's trying to get away from taking certain roles in society so like you said like I think it talks about like later on like dwarves being of hearty constitution but that's not always necessarily true and so you don't have to have that dwarven resilience as well you can just choose to take that or not and one thing I will say from looking at this is that a lot of this is flavour so, like, for example, one thing early on is languages. It's like, well, you're, it's universal that, you will, that your character will speak common and at least one other language, and then maybe more or less, depending on their background, uh, that you choose. But then you could also just change a language for a language. There's no, like, things stopping you from that. You just need to talk to the DM about it. So you could, in mm. fact, have a whole campaign where a couple of the characters do not speak common and they have to speak through a translator if that's something that they want to do. And again, just looking at the list you have, you've got abyssal, celestial, deep speech, draconic, all all these sort of connect different worlds. So if your world doesn't take place necessarily, um, if your campaign doesn't take place necessarily on the material plane, then... Would you have a need for common, per se? Maybe you do, but maybe it's the rarer language. Maybe it's the second language you have and your first language is, uh, say, uh, Celestial
1: instead. And the good thing about, especially when you look at the languages section, is that it's not bringing anything into the game that would be considered to be unfair or, or broken. There have always been spells to do with translating languages. There have always been feats that allow you to take new languages. There have been trainers that can teach you languages. But every single one of these languages is spoken, by at least one race that has been released in the book like obviously you've got things like dwarvish gnomish halfling mm-hmm. i mean obviously those have always been spoken but i think when, when you look at this i think either abyssal or infernal is spoken by tieflings of different times mm-hmm. you've got orc obviously half orcs will pick up draconic dragonborn can speak so there's nothing here that's going to sort of as you say break a game i think it allows a lot more flexibility for a dm as you say to sort of paint a different world and say you know what in this community the gnomes are isolated and have been around the orc so long that they speak gnomish and orc instead of mm. common you know because the, the orcs have decided that common is not allowed in this mm. civilization and it kind of reinforces that thing where if you want to change stuff around it's totally fine that is the sort of the general theme of this by the way languages you can just swap one for one as long as your dm agrees with it and it's on this list mm-hmm. it's fine there's nothing you've got to worry about here <laughs>
0: Thank <laughs> you. I guess then for me the next sort of interesting part is obviously proficiencies. so again maybe it's more flavorful than not but obviously when you have certain proficiencies it can be granted by your race or your background and stuff and if you're like well culturally or it doesn't really fit with the background you can swap it for a different one so you're not necessarily losing out by mm. just having that proficiency or not and looking at it again like you said it's like like for like so you've got if you have a proficiency in one skill you can swap it for another skill again doesn't really necessarily matter you know if it makes but i think the one One thing I did find interesting is that for armor, if you've got proficiency in armor, but you want to swap it to something else, you swap it to either a simple slash martial weapon or tool. But there's no, as I understand this, and maybe I'm wrong, there's no way to switch it back. So there's no way that you, Mm. if you have a proficiency in a simple slash martial weapon or tool, that you can swap that having proficiency in armor and i think the
1: this is what i'm talking about the sort of tiering aspect it's determined that skills and armor are the most important things that your character could be given and then things like tools and and simple weapon proficiencies are are less interesting armor is an interesting one if you think about uh let's say you've got a sorcerer or a wizard which is a a no armor class Mm. you've rolled the standard array so you've got what is it the 15 13 12, 11, 10, 8. Is that it? Am I missing think
0: I think there's a 14 in there as well. There are 14 but yes, somewhere.
1: Okay. Well, seems there's a 15 and a 14. So let's say you've put your 15 in your, in your spellcasting stat, because of course you have, and you've got a 14 in decks. So your armor class is 12. You've got 10 plus Mm two and let's say that you swap in an armor skill like you know for instance dwarves have the ability to wear medium armor i think Mm -hmm. um one of them it's either hill or mountain dwarves Mm -hmm. and suddenly you could wear half plate and have 15 plus 2 which gives you 17 ac so it's it's a huge jump of about 4 ac in a class that's not necessarily supposed to have that much armor class i can see what they're trying to do whether it's a bit clunky Mm. i i think i would have liked to have seen what actually this ordering of armor so like you Mm. could have light armor as something you could switch to for instance because wearing studded leather is not going to be a huge Mm. thing but i can see why because it has direct combat connotations ac is one of those things that very quickly breaks a game
0: and again maybe it's just where we've played games as well but maybe tools and simple weapons and stuff like there is a general sort of thing like most people will have a proficiency in simple weapons of some sort or a tool of some sort. So I did like the idea that you could switch the tools as well, because I know for my character, I think I just picked Mason's tools, which I've never used, which is totally fine. Cause again, it's just I was just like, mm, solid, I'll just I'll just take that. But I guess again, if it depends on obviously the scenario or anything like that, being able to like actually justify it and change it a little bit, but like, oh actually I do have something for this. And if it's only for one check, I think that's it will helps, as we always say. So
1: yeah, exactly. I think the unspoken thing that all of these options are giving you flexibility over is the the whim and flavor of your particular style of DM. That's the biggest unknown in D&D because you can write all these rules down, you can have all these classes and, and the way to build worlds, but until you sit down and you know. How your DM plays, mm. it's difficult to work out what skills are going to be useful and, and not. And mm. as you say, you can pick up Mason's tools, it was kind of an off thought, and then you can go into a campaign where Masonry is never ever brought up once. Mm-hmm. And your DM may instead get you to roll 17 perception checks per session because it's just the skill that comes that much. So I think it's allowing you to have a little bit of flexibility. What we personally do in our group, and I, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but we kind of have a rule of, if you haven't thought about it before... If you give me a good argument later down the line, I'll let you change it. But mm. once you thought about it and made an argument on something, I'm not going to let you change it again. Yeah, like Mason's tools would be a good example. If you come to me, even at, I think we're level 14 now, and we've mm. done like 100 sessions over two years or something crazy. But if you came to me and said, look, masonry tools, it's nonsense. I've never used them. They came to me. Um, could we switch them for... You know something else that's more relevant that we use every session, and that my character would have probably picked up. I'll probably mm. go, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, we may have a bit of a gold cost, or we've got to get some equipment, or whatever it is. But, mm. but sure. But if the player came to me and said, "Oh, well, I already changed from masons' tools to playing the violin because it would be really useful, and now I'm bored of that, so now I want perception," mm-hmm. I'd say no now you've got to train for it because you've you've thought about it once
0: yeah it's that sort of thing where you think about any skills you had 10 years ago that you don't use anymore like I got a stupid boring fact about me I got up to grade seven in the clarinet and I stopped because I took too many exams and I hated it I did not know that grade seven is incredibly high I, I know i I failed grade six because there's in certain exam boards you have to sing as well and you've got to show you've got some musical know-how for theory and I was always of the opinion that well I'm blowing into a woodwind instrument. why would I also need to sing as well because I'm I'm busy doing one like,
1: another. Can you bring an accompaniment in? Sorry this is a total distraction this is fascinating like yeah you're right because I took piano lessons and I, I did like the the jazz piano qualifications for a little while and mm-hmm. I wasn't very I wasn't anyway I think I was taking grade two so I was I was much <laughs> much. but they were threatening that I was going to have to Start singing as well, and I thought that was appalling. But you can at least see, like, someone like Jules Holland, or someone is sat there tinkering away and singing yeah. the time, or yeah. you know. Anybody, but
0: it's just such bullshit. And then, so I failed grade six, and I was really upset. And they said, "Well, oh, there's this other board that doesn't do that, and you, it's just more about working out the theory and stuff like that. And you just have to answer questions." So I was like, "That sounds good." And then I passed with distinction. So it turns out my voice holds me back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or but, you just weren't practicing enough. I am so getting a clarinet and making you play sometime. <laughs> it's, it's been years.
0: I could. I, I mean, I'm glad I can still read music. That's that's still the fun thing. But I, I the fingering, as it were, is all gone. <laughs>
1: It takes a while to get the fingering back, you lose mm-hmm. it quickly, yeah, totally yeah. agree. Yeah. The,
0: point, the point I was making was that it's been 10 years since I've done that. And yeah, I might be able to pick up some of it. I'm not going to be as good as I was, you know, getting up to grade seven then, and then just switching it back. So I wouldn't assume in a game having a similar thing. Well, 10 years ago, my character could do X and I just thought this is really useful at this point. Because again, yeah, I'd see as we we'll probably go on to the idea of like switching your subclass or being able to go back to proficiency. Yeah. You know, okay. But you need to do do the work, do the training, because you can't just pick it up and, and go. So. Whether or not you're going to have a clarinet lesson or a clarinet concert is a different matter. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'm all up for letting players adapt to your style of play because they read a player's handbook and they're not going to have a clue as to how you're going to run a game Mm. and what you're going to prioritize over certain things because you will have unconscious bias. Like I make such an effort to try and avoid using perception checks every skill check of the game. But even it does come up a lot. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I try and make people feel like their skills are are useful in other things. I try and and spread it around. But because of that, someone may be less likely to take perception on my campaign than mm. somebody else who did it based on passive perception or, or, or whatever the sort of the, the ruling was. Um, yeah. But yeah, just because I realized we we're flicking around all over the place, the changing okay. a skill thing, it, it is basically you can choose, you can swap skills as you like. This is suggesting that when you take an ability score improvement, mm. um, that's a good time to do it because there's only a certain amount of chunks of your character. There's, I think it's, what, 4th, 8th, 12th, 16th, 19th level for most people. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't let you do it too often, but it gives a bit of flexibility. All of these options are... You don't have to include them as a DM, but mm-hmm. they're just options to let people switch yeah. it around, really.
0: And I think that that's, that's a good point before, before we move on, is that I think a lot of the times when you're thinking about, oh, you can play whatever character you want, that seems to be aimed at players who want to play a certain... or have an idea in their mind. But actually... I think it is encouraging for DMs to be like, hey, there is a way to do this. So now maybe you should open up your world and stuff. And then for, you you don't have to have orcs or elves or dwarves. You know, you can make it change from this. And I think that's the thing is key, is that maybe a lot of people who get this book are DMs over players. I mean, again, a lot of the options here are for player options and stuff. But I don't know, if you're a first-time player coming into the thing and you're going, okay, I've got Player's Handbook, do I need Tasha's as well? And the answer is, Probably not. That's probably for your DM to help you with that. And I think that's I think that's an important thing to just say is that like it's very helpful, but maybe a bit much if you're playing for the first time or playing for your first few characters. And this is definitely something I would say that if you're experienced, if you're comfortable with what you've got, but you want to try something different and have a look, then this is the kind of book you should be looking at.
1: Yeah, this is definitely something to tackle if you've got a little bit of an understanding about how to build a character. You don't necessarily need to have played a lot, but you've got to realize how a character is built. So if you're a new player, getting a DM to run you through it or an experienced player is a good option. Mm -hmm. I I think as well, it depends on how you make a character. If you Mm -hmm. come at it because you enjoy reading the books and you look for class options and you say, oh, that looks really interesting, then this isn't going to be as interesting for you because you were always going to pick cool classes and not worry about the backgrounds and the flavor of it that much but if you're coming at it because you want to play Geralt mm-hmm. the witcher that's your character you want to be that exact person and nothing in the book is matching up to give you that exact skill set this comes at it from a like a theming angle much better than a stats angle you can build what you want from the theme <laughs> some other little bits just before we we, we sort of go through them the, the ability score increases we, hmm. we sort of skipped over, but that's one of the most sort of crucial aspects character races either get a plus two and a plus one or a plus two and nothing or a two plus ones i think there's a couple of other combinations but this effectively lets you chop and change as long as you can justify it as to like why your race sort of is built like that then then that's fine that's Actually, a bit that probably is the most min max because it's going to be like, I want to play a dwarf, but I'm actually a wizard, so I want my plus two to go into, you know, wizardry rather than dwarf stuff. So there's an option there to make it a little bit min max which I'm never a huge fan of. But mm. I do like the the idea that you don't have to play the exact physical characteristics of somebody mm-hmm. of, your, of your race. I mean, we've, for instance, like a half-orc that always has the plus two to strength. Yeah. And let's say you don't want to play a strong character or I mean, there's, there's so many things where like, for instance, as a bloke walking around, you always assume to be you've got to be strong. That's, that's something that comes with being a man. You've got to be able to be this sort of really big, strong, lift a box, help somebody out physique. And you're not the way dnds work before is okay you, you can't avoid that plus two strength so just stick an eight on it make it a 10 and you can flavor it out but you're just not very strong mm. but it doesn't let you then excel at something else that you would like to so i like this i like this change it lets people be a little bit more like no you don't have to be like that you can do this as you want why not why is not a problem? why not
0: be be the weak man that you want to be is <laughs> that's what you're saying super bingo bingo <laughs> before we move on to feats and stuff i think it is the only thing i wanted to talk about was sort of the changing of your subclass as well because like we sort of mentioned before is that you know you're playing a campaign and then obviously touches come out and you're like oh actually this this allows me to change or it allows me to try something a bit different what would you say like is the sort of the main things you need to know as a dm like what are the options that you can do for this if a player comes to you and says i want to try this subclass or, or change a skill etc
1: yeah i think that's the biggest thing there are so many more subclasses now than there were when it first came out and and more things come out every time the main things to take away from this are life is too short if you've got a campaign and you want to try something new go for it as long as the dm is up for it you don't need to play i mean we've been playing a campaign for well over 100 sessions now and if somebody wanted to change because they don't want to play the next the same thing for another like year for instance I, you know i get that this is supposed to be fun mm. at the end of the day this gives you options to change your subclass effectively. So your, let's say this gives you the option of being or the example of giving a paladin of Oath of Devotion switching to Oath of Vengeance mm. or whatever it might be. Maybe your warlock goes from a I'm thinking very sort of critical role ask. You can change your patron or I'm thinking other stories like a wizard may change the school that they favor in because actually they've got a really good. T- you've done that at high school. Probably you've gone in you've been really good at one thing like science and then you've mm-hmm. turned up for an English lesson and your teacher was brilliant and you've yeah. loved it ever since. And mm-hmm. you find your, your allegiance is switching. It's, it, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that happens. This gives you the option to do it one of two ways. Either you can do it with a cost and time, or you can just say, it happens sudden change with, with explanation. It, it's not really writing too many rules into it. Either mm-hmm. you can, you know, you do it on a, an ability basis, Improvement with monetary cost or with time of training, whatever it might be, or something happens in the story that inspires sudden change. And I think the biggest rule that this is—you're not chopping and changing between subclasses. That's an important thing to remember. You can't say I take the level three thing from the Oath of Devotion and the level six thing from the Oath of Vengeance and the level nine thing from the Oath of Peace and whatever it may be. You've got to pick one and stick with it. And I think there are some very important balance rules in that that you have to consider and not just mechanical but rules as well but I think it's kind of throwing the book out the window and saying if you want to change it you can in any way you want and just once you've decided here are the rules that back it up
0: Yeah, because they talk about the, again, like you said, the two different ways of doing it, but the sudden change one, it gives you examples of of what it is so that you, your character faces like a profound realization or faces an entity of overwhelming power, which is either beauty or terror. And it just means that in that moment, you have uh, like an epiphany and you go, I'm going to change that. And so, and that can be quite powerful because people can just diverge from the paths that they have chosen fate. But I feel that those may be the more rarer occurrences or maybe story-based ones whereby, you know, they have been talking about it. And then you get that moment when like, OK, everyone goes off to sleep except you because you have a dream. And then you do their all the sort of side mission as well. And then the training time one is, again, it sounds like a lot of downtime one. So, again, an activity in between big adventures or sessions, as it were. Like, OK, so what did you do? I guess for me, the only thing would be is that if... A couple of people in your group wanted to change their subclasses or quite a number of you. Maybe you would opt for the training time one just mm. to save time. Again, it's not very flavorful. If it, again, depending on your group and stuff. But I feel like it gets to a point where like you don't want to be like spotlighting one person who goes through the epiphany and then everyone else either stays the same and goes, well, I, I did a lot of hard work and hard work opportunity look at the pinpoint, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. So, But it's nice to have those options as well. And I don't know where you'd see this, happen perhaps it definitely would happen in a longer campaign so maybe people who have been playing for quite a few years have gone oh well now There's a way to change it That isn't within the rules Even though As we all know You can just do whatever you want in D&D The rules Mm. are just guidelines Mm. So I guess I I don't see this happening In maybe earlier campaigns Earlier levels So if you're at level 3 Or something Maybe you take a couple of things And go actually i I I change that
1: Yeah the earlier levels If somebody's new to D&D Or you're experimenting With a character That you have very little practice with You may quickly realise That the particular class Or style of play That you went for Is not something you're enjoying Like maybe It involves a lot of stealth And you actually can't be bothered to do the stealth thing and you realize that pretty early on like i can see people wanting to change while it's still fresh i think weirdly enough these rules will play really well in the one shot community or the repeated separate stories community where Mm. you've got maybe the same adventure league-esque player who will come back for session after session after session but there's very little interaction between those sessions they're Mm. all one-off modules or stories or campaigns or whatever it is it this gives you the element of, of being able to be a little bit flexible with hmm. you know as long as you're willing to spend the gold cost your character can turn up with a different set sort of skills to whatever adventure that it's going to be so i can see it in a sort of weird way
0: i agree i guess maybe what i mean when i think of earlier levels is when it's i've ever had a new player which i know it's very very rare uh when i do a uh, longer dnd campaigns is that uh, if they're not enjoying it then i'll be like okay we'll just let's just change it right now to something else rather than going through this sort of admin, I, I, it's not admin, but like, I feel like rather than changing the story, it's like, okay, you're not enjoying it, but we do it out of session, we change it around and then mm-hmm. choose it rather than making it a big point. Because I guess maybe it's just maybe like, oh, Sandra's not enjoying her character. So we, we need to show it in front of everyone. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I, I, that's the only thing I think where is maybe a longer campaign and stuff it's just much easier and maybe there's a more buy-in from the players go oh i'm actually enjoying my character and it has, has already has that connection to it whereas if, if you're an earlier level when you're only two or three sessions and maybe still feeling around the character i mean like session zero for us was very different to maybe session one when we did and i was like okay well, we'll change a bit of the personality
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly and, and different people different groups different styles you'll find a way and this the good thing uh and this is you know potentially leads into what we were going to say in a bit but these whole rules are lined up to be as flexible and as open as possible so that you can effectively find the outcome you want and then find the path that leads to it it's that way round, as opposed to these are the steps you take and then who knows what you'll end up with this is you know what you want to end up with and it's how to get there
0: Again, very quickly, in case you, like, there's no step-by-step guide on, like, how to create a character of its own lineage. Well, there's actually a teeny tiny little box on page eight, which just says, like, just, it's basically you are, uh, your creature type is humanoid, but you can flavor it however you want. You know, your size is either small or medium. You have a base walking speed of 30. One ability score increases by two. Uh, A feat of your own choice, which you qualify for, which I think is a very interesting sentence because it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I've got wings so I can fly, or something, maybe. <laughs> and then a variable trait of either like dark vision of 60 feet or proficiency in one skill of your choice. And then language being common or other language. So that is like a very quick thing. If you're like, oh, I need to have something in 30 minutes, uh, but I want to play something completely different. There's a really yeah. nice little box set that you can just take and start putting it together. So very straightforward
1: feel like you recognize it it's because it's the variant human yeah they've just taken the human out of that it's, it's exactly the same thing so it's you basically you get a feat i think that if you qualify a bit that just relates to some feats have ability score minimums and class features and stuff like that you've got to have so maybe that's what it's saying
0: i think you're or, right there yeah yeah
1: but you know if it says only an orc can have this and you're a dwarf and you can justify it Tash is all about saying, go for it. So, you know, why not?
0: Why not indeed. Let's go have a look at the feats then, all these sort of new different feats that have come in. What
1: what did you think of these? interesting actually and they i can see what they're doing a lot of the additional feats and, and skills and, and, and spells that get brought into dnd often what they do is that they find an idea that works and then they run with it and extrapolate various forms of it so it looks like you've got a bunch of feats like so it's three pages worth of them it's it's pages 79 to 81 in the book and I would say from a quick read, there's about 15 feeds. Mm-hmm. Of these 15 feeds, I would say there's only about five different feats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of and this happened in Xanathar's as well. Well, less so. Actually, Xanathar's was more racial feats. So different races get different extrapolated things. But again, there are very similar sort of feats here. Mm-hmm. What they've done is they've taken old feats that were in the game before and they've given more options to them or they have taken an idea for a new feat and they've sort of given about four or five different options for it. There are some really good ones here, actually, really good ones.
0: I noticed that as well because obviously it's like a Magic Adept or major Adept is in the original book and then you have Metamagic Adept or uh, Artificer, because obviously now Artificers are an official class and stuff. Um, I must say though, my, my favourite one, just having a look at it, is just Chef you are having characters who aren't necessarily i am a fighter i am this you are having uh, there are roles for people who are the support again which is maybe sounds like a horrible term but it's not like the chef and having someone who mm. is like well i my skills are in uh, cooking and and, coloring and stuff i i'm trained in this it's nice to have that flavour And being able to um, give it some well It feels very much like a bardic inspiration Being able to yeah. cook this food And then people can have it for up to eight hours later It's a bit more yeah. than bardic inspiration But I just thought that was like a, a, quite a nice It stands out from the other ones Where it's like, okay, fighting related, fighting related Ooh, outside yeah. of combat, social
1: It's really, really cool, actually and it, Of the most different feats that are in this book, actually yeah. So, yeah, it, as you're right They've taken kind of the song of rest of the bard And then the temporary hit points of the aids, but and bits and pieces and and you're right it's that support class weirdly enough i wanted to do a character like three years ago or something that was along the lines of and i forget oh it's i've totally forgotten the reference now but it was it was an anime and there was a a protagonist who was a bit of a chef and it was a main part of their characteristic was like you do all these adventures and then they would sit down afterwards and really look after people Mm -hmm. and really nurse them back to sort of psychological health as much as mental health and i just thought that was such a really cool aspect to a character because as you say cooking's not really brought into a thing but it it is one of those things where actually this can this can really help And it's a really useful out of combat and no magic cost sort of thing Mm -hmm. it gives you a point it's
0: it's cool the only thing i can think of in terms of like what kind of character would be like it's like brock from pokemon who has like hmm. obviously is like a big gym trainer and looks very scary but then in the quiet moments when they're resting and stuff, he's always looking after people he's always cooking and stuff like that and he's like it's very important to look after your pokemon and that sort of thing and then he's like right we now jewel um yep. so yeah so i could totally see like brock being like a chef in some way as a result totally so.
1: absolutely or like terry from brooklyn 99 it just goes (gasps) around giving people yogurt (laughs) (laughs) let's
0: go through the feats as well is there any one that again you were like oh this is really really cool or stands out from like the five main ones that have different variations on i guess
1: yeah i think there are some really interesting ones the poisoner i think Hmm. is a really cool um way of bringing poison into the game which i think poison was a much bigger aspect of dnd in previous editions fifth edition kind of fell by the wayside there are poisons in the book there are poisonous kits there are poison but, but it's kind of scattered around there's never really been focused like i expected poison to be at least one of the rogue classes or subclasses or, or something to do with using poison a bit more. It gives people the ability to apply poison to weapons to give a much more reliable poison that you can make um, using a bit of gold uh, that does damage. It lets you do it as a bonus action. It lets you ignore enemy proficiency, sorry, um resistance. Mm-hmm which is really good yeah, really actually good. because a lot of monsters have resistance to poison that there's a bit of a joke throughout D D that of all of the damage types if you pick a spell that has poison damage over everything else it is mm. worth like half as much because <laughs> after a certain point every single monster will be either immune or resistant to poison like it doesn't matter what it is they all have poison blood so using poison's actually is possible because you can ignore resistances against poison.
0: I was trying to think when the last time I think we did have a, like a vial of poison at one point we're like we just dip our weapons in it oh no it only lasts for a minute oh. and then by the time you get into combat you're like it's, it doesn't matter like you, you're just sort of like you're, you're busy fighting you go, oh I take an action to dip my arrows into it etc it's I guess yeah. it's one of those things that yeah it's a pre prep thing out of combat or like just to add it before combat so yeah, yeah. it's quite nice to see that actually. again so, just something a little bit different but yeah, yeah I agree like I feel like as soon as you said it I was like yeah most monsters must be Resistant to poison because they're just very. You know, they have to deal with adventurers hacking and slashing them, you know, and they probably poison them. So okay. the
1: other feats that stand out is is what I would call the subclass feats, which are there's always been the fighting stuff. So was it the martial? One of the martial feats in Player's Handbook, which mm. is where you can use superiority dice from mm. the fighter subclass so you can do maybe the manoeuvres battle manoeuvres where you can disarm and do sweeping attacks and goading strikes and they let people have those dice and, and do things there's a bunch of feats that have expanded those options to other subclasses so amongst these you have the Eldritch Adept, which lets people effectively take an Eldritch Indication. There are lots of different Warlock Indications that you might enjoy, like being able to cast Disguise Self at will, being able to cast a spell every long rest, and more importantly, being able to pump up your Eldritch Blast if you want to be a bard that can do Warlock Eldritch Blast and you don't necessarily want to take a level in Warlock. So there's, there's options there. Mm-hmm. Fighting initiate, which lets you take um, more fighting styles, which is something that you would normally have to adapt to first level fighter multiclass mm. for. So that's quite intriguing. Meta magic adapt is one of my favorites. It lets regular spellcasters use the sorcery meta magic, mm. which is awesome. You only get two points for it, which is rubbish. Because most metamagic requires more than two points once it gets really exciting. Mm. But it might let you cast a couple of subtle spells or twinned spells of lower level things or, or whatever it might be. So that's quite exciting. And then also there's a couple of very vague sort of skill based ones like skill expert, which basically says, do you want expertise? Have expertise. You don't need a, a rogue level in it like if we'd had a conversation a year ago about all the exciting multi-class options that you could have done Mm. um like does taking a level of fighter help a 14th level barbarian or Mm. a level of rogue or a level of paladin or whatever it might be a lot of those arguments we would have had where like your barbarian a 14th level for instance i could say well actually have you considered a level of fighter because you can get the two-handed weapon fighting style or you might be able to get an action surge or whatever it is. Most of those arguments, there's a feat for it now. So actually you don't need to do that because you could take the fighting initiative, uh, I'm struck with that word, initiate um, feat, and you could give yourself the two-handed weapon fighting
0: that's an interesting point, actually, because one of the things I, I really don't like multiclassing, just because I feel like it's a lot of admin. Like, I know the, the R2 uh, friends, David and Sam, they they love, like, messing around with them and doing that. I'm just like, I can't keep much in my head at best of times, so barbarian just goes straight through is fine. But actually being able to use feats instead and negating having separate, like, dice pools for hit die and, and all that sort of thing, that actually would be so helpful. So, yeah, I can, I can totally see doing that and, and then maybe... When you, would, when you go, actually, I want to change class completely because I'm enjoying this a bit more. So another way to dip your toes in and then you could move into like, changing the class around completely. So yeah, yeah. I like that as a, as a little taster.
1: Exactly. And there are some some different flavors of ones. So they've got um, weapon damage beats. So they've got one for bludgeoning, piercing and slashing weapons that effectively give you a little bit of extra strength for decks and then give you options to do more things on critical hits. Um, and there's, a, there's a once per turn thing for each one and then there's a critical hit thing for one. so it's a crusher for instance of a budgeting damage lets you shunt someone five feet if you hit them and gives them or gives everybody else advantage on attacks against them if you crit them, which is quite exciting. Piercing, there's one that lets you reroll the damage dice and then give you more damage when you crit. So that's all about critting really well. That, again, was a hallmark to previous editions of, of D&D, where if you crit with a weapon, the crit actually changed depending on the weapon you used. So using a slashing weapon would double your damage, but using a piercing weapon would triple your damage because it, oh, wow. it argued that a crit with a sword is one thing, but crit with a uh, with an arrow, that's come through your heart, you're screwed. Yeah. Idea. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then there's a there's a slasher one, which lets you I mean this one to me seems interesting, lets you mm. slow down people when you hit them with a slashing weapon and then gives the target disadvantage on all attack rolls when you crept them yeah. for the next turn, which is pretty powerful, actually. That's
0: pretty, uh, yeah, damaging to that. But then, don't you know, the other two that are on this as telekinetic and telepathic. Now... Spoilers, Brian. I always used to get this mixed up Which one was which So (laughs) But obviously telekinetic is about uh, Moving things with your mind Mm. And stuff And it's all I like the fact that it's all very small things Because again, it's that sort of thing where I can imagine it. you build it up And you get to the point where it's like um, Oh, it's the film Chronicle I can't remember when there's like Some teenage boys that discover they have uh, Psychic abilities And then at the end There's just a picture of one Just blasting into the sky As they go into like a storm And I was like (laughs) But it it goes from like Nought nought to a hundred Within like 60 minutes and you're like, mm, not sure about that. Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, telepathy, or telepathic, sorry, um, where you can just, you, you know, you have the whole, so you can speak to people, but they can't speak back, which makes sense, but it gives the example of a, a telepathic bard who uses their inspiration to people they can see on the battlefield, but not necessarily speak it aloud. And I mm-hmm. thought that that's pretty cool, because then, again, that sort of the idea that if you don't want to necessarily signal that, hey, there's a spellcaster over there, perhaps, you know, uh, be able to just you know speak your spells and stuff and be able to just do it without being heard. It's actually quite a powerful, not just playable thing, but also in combat as well, because you might not know where things are coming from mm-hmm. and, and with all these distractions and stuff. So I just thought... I, I guess for me looking at it i with the telekinetic thing sorry you have that thing where a bonus action you can shove a creature mm. with, with your mind which I, again it's i feel that's a bit very much like ah like you and, and screw you uh rather yeah. than anything else. so well, I,
1: things have have amazing combos with particular classes like that shove for instance would work wonders if you were a spellcasting class because you can bonus action shove someone five feet away from you and then move away without taking an attack of opportunity mm-hmm. if you are up in in, in melee range So it could be used to basically disengage in a different style there are some really cool options here uh, mm. some of them are are really exciting um, the, the other ones i just wanted to point out they did um with with tashes they've officially made the artificer into a thing and they brought in firearms which is of course they're always going to bring guns in at some point so there's a gunner feat now which effectively i think is the same as the crossbow expert feat but with guns yeah. instead of crossbows mm-hmm. but otherwise it's exactly the same and then they've also brought in one for each of the mirror planes so there's a Shadowfell based one there's a fade wild based one which effectively just lets you cast a couple of spells and do cool things once per day, mm-hmm. which is very, very similar to the racial feats in Xanathar's Guide. So mm-hmm. misty stepping and, and turning invisible and that sort of thing. Basically, if you ever want to make your own feat, just pick a first level spell and a second level spell and let them do it once per day and then give one ability score increase. Instant mm. win. Instant win.
0: Brilliant. Well, I think that's quite a very thorough overview for that and it's actually quite exciting to have like a book that's been published in the last year so thank, thank you Ryan for choosing that um no I guess just, just to finish off I guess is there anything that you you wish Tasha's did give or is or you think oh this could be improved in some way I think generally speaking and I don't know if this is
1: the opinion but I love what they've done the, for me, not writing the law and not giving fixed options is exactly the point. The, the whole point is not supposed to be a here are some options for you or like let different um, subclasses for you to try. The point was supposed to be what do you want to do? Like ignore the rules. This is not what d d is about. d d has always been about what do you want to be? Who do you want to play? Mm-hmm. And here are some ideas to help you get to that point. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're not enjoying the game, how do we change it so that you do enjoy the game? And let's put some rules about it to change that. So I love what they've done. Personally, keeping things open-ended and flexible is exactly what I think the the game needed. I don't think it needed another 300 subclasses. It's given them another 300 subclasses. There are lots more in the book, but I don't think that's what it needed. I think Mm. just having a bit of flexibility to be a bit sensible and say, you know what? My lock picking tools are useless for my fighter. Can I instead learn how to use maritime vehicles? that's fine. Maybe it's just how we've played because we've always played D&D with that flexibility. Like I've always allowed people to have a custom background where you can pick your skills, you can, based on an argument you give to me. So we've kind of just taken that really and and run with it.
0: Yeah, so I feel like for me, a lot of people expected loads of stuff from Tasha's and like, oh, it's going to rewrite history. It's going to rewrite all these things and stuff and it hasn't. It's put that agency back with the players and stuff saying, this is up to you now. For me, which is a controversial opinion, that's fine in a sense of like it was always going to be that because ultimately at the end of the day you don't have to follow any of these rules or laws like it's, it's interesting and then we've always said this it's like we read it and then we'll change it for our own campaigns and that's always been the case and i feel like people wanted a lot more from wizards to like well you've got all this other problematic history and you're like yes very true they now need to do that, and I think they, they might have to even release more and more books, which is purely about that law and stuff. I think maybe the problematic issue lies within the fact that when you're starting out, you get the player's handbook, and that's the, the go-to, like, the orcs are like this, the elves are like this, etc. But you need to rewrite that and you need to do a separate book on that rather than to have a book, which is like, well, you could do anything about it. I think, I don't know. I feel there was a miscommunication somewhere whereby people were like, but this is not what you said. I was like, no, I, I knew this was what it was going to be. I knew it was literally going to be two pages of like, you can be any class, any race, whatever. And then here are the options for classes here are the feats, etc. It wasn't, necessarily rewriting whole swaths of law from Mm. things and I think I and I guess I understand people's disappointments but I think going forward what we call to see is having new writers come to the table new diverse writers that are writing new campaign settings that change this and it's not rehashing of old ones like I said at the beginning like obviously I I bought Curse of Strahd Revisited which updates the Curse of Strahd book it doesn't update it that much it literally takes out some problematic sentences and that's kind of it and mm-hmm. people were a bit like mm, that's not fair they, you know, we expected this and i was like if you read the the whole uh, adventure if they change some of the law in it it changes the adventure completely and it's yeah. about giving that option to the dm say look we've taken out the, the problem out of it we admit that but now you need to make this adventure your own thing so that's what i'm doing just now i'm reading through it and going well what can i change to make it yeah. for me a story i want to tell
1: I think just taking any of the uh, actual sentiment behind it away, the actual logistical issues they've got is that the more material they release, everything focuses and links to the player's handbook. That is the core book that if you change the player's handbook, you would be changing over a dozen Different texts, let alone the Tashes and Xanathars and all the other books that rely on it so heavily. So, personally, I can see why they've done it this way. Mm-hmm. It, just from a pure mechanical point of view, in order to keep the game as a functional thing, you don't want to change the core stuff that everything relies on because you have all kinds of unintended mm-hmm. consequences when you do that. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing a lot of big sweeping changes either in sixth edition when that does come mm-hmm. out and. My bet, personally, is a 5.5 edition. I Mm. honestly think they will re-release the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, Monster's Manual, under a 5.5, a revised 5th edition, like they did on 3rd edition, because I believe this edition has captured the commercial attention and imagination of the players way more than any other edition has so far fifth edition really has catapulted D along with twitch and youtube and all the other sort of avenues there's a huge audience for it now that demand a lot of stuff mm. and i don't think they're going to want to throw away that charm and simplicity that fifth edition is brought mm-hmm. um so i wouldn't be surprised if they put a 5.5 out rather mm. than a just a sweeping six um
0: I, yeah absolutely i think it makes sense at this point as well because it's been like maybe a 10 uh, no not 10 years it's been five or six years since they since they've released Fifth edition. So yeah, and I'd welcome that as well. Like I guess the other thing as well is that if people are like, no, this is not right, et cetera, and I completely understand there are so many fantasy systems out there which are either as crunchy or as little like I've played games where there's no dice rolls at all and it is just pure uh, conversation and I think for me is that like if you find d d problematic as it is it is and that's what I've always admitted to then look for other ways to change it yourself or look for a different system I think like you said I think 5.5 I hope in the next five years that'll be really cool to see that I think but I, these things move so slow and unless unless they're going to invite lots more people to do writing and, and create new campaigns, uh, which are different settings and stuff to the old ones. But again, as we've talked about before in previous episodes, people want to have the old campaigns updated to fifth edition. They want to play the space hippos with guns, um, you know, officially. It's one of those things where I think it's something that needs to change. But I understand it's going to take years and years and years and yeah. the, we won't see the effects of it till possibly people stop playing you know what I mean like yeah yeah.
1: it's easy to become annoyed and frustrated that maybe the game isn't catching up with where it should be as quickly as it should Mm -hmm. but instead of thinking about it like that think about it more joyously that it's wonderful that we live in a world that has changed so quickly that this problem is appearing and it's better to be that way around than not to have this issue because the world is not changing that would be a worse situation so maybe they'll catch up give them time they're a huge they've got to hire all the artists and it takes years so to get all this artwork in for a new book so oh, you know
0: it's yeah yeah we've said this before the art is so beautiful oh, it's book. beautiful it oh. really is <laughs> Thank you so much again for, for joining me, Ryan. It's so nice to, to speak and talk to you about DD things in the, the year of 2021. <laughs> um, tell us, where can we find you? What are you up to? What's the plans for anything socials or Civ related? What are you oh. up to, man? Oh,
1: you can find me on this podcast. That's mainly where I hang. There's episodes and episodes of it. I just looked on Spotify the other day. There's tons of the. I, I don't remember filming half of that. I looked at some of the topics. We spoke about mind flares at some point really early on yeah yeah really early on i had a whole thing about giants i can't remember a thing about it so i'll listen back to it at some point and, and find it yeah i i run a youtube channel called Ursarion, around so come find me there and i'm also on discord the Ursarion around discord so come find me we can chat we can chat uh,
0: yes. <laughs> uh yeah and i am uh, fiona i run the one of my rolling podcast twice monthly rpg one uh, one shot podcast words are nothing anymore uh, as always it's going really well. It's. I'm, going well. I'm super busy and it's nice to be busy. I was saying to Ryan before we started recording, uh, I recently just played in a Warhammer role playing fantasy one shot, which. Uh, put it this way, I, you know you're in trouble if the PDF, form fillable PDF, buffers as you scroll up, because so, <laughs> there are so many stats and so many things. Um, but it was really fun. But again, one of those things where I'm like, I have found my limit with fantasy games, and it mm. is that. Um, mm. We also played The Expanse really recently, which is a sci-fi S one with 3D6 and, and stuff. And that was really fun. That the, the lore of that is really fascinating. So that's on my list to look at The Expanse at some point for the sci-fi show. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So all all good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Yes, I like it. I like
1: it. That's fantastic. (laughs) Or you could just say goodbye.
0: Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. You see the panic. It happens
1: every time. I love it.